Welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades Podcast, episode 112. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. This week on the show is Daniel Ramos. Daniel Ramos is the executive director of One Colorado. One Colorado advocates for a fair and just Colorado for all Coloradans. And we're talking specifically about the LGBTQ community. So lesbian, gay, transgender, bisexual, and queer. Now, this is an issue that is near and dear to my heart, which, I don't know, may be surprising considering I'm a white, straight, cisgendered man. But to that end, that's why I feel like it's important to lend my voice to this fight for equality. You know, this matters. We've seen great progress in our generation for equality for all folks, for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer. We've made great progress. My daughters will grow up in a world where they only know marriage equality. At least, that's my hope. I mean, I can't imagine this right going away. It's, you know, it's hard to put the toothpaste back in the tube once it's out, right? And so my hope is that they grow up in a world knowing only marriage equality, where people can get married to whomever they choose, and the government recognizes them as equal under the law. I was introduced to Daniel a while back. We ended up crossing paths professionally And so as I worked with him on a number of fronts, I thought, you know what? He should come on the podcast and we should talk about some of the LGBTQ issues that are happening in the world and happening here in Colorado and some of the challenges that, say, transgender folks face. And it's funny. He cites a statistic in here in this week's episode that only one in 10 people know someone who is transgendered. And I still do. I was first introduced to someone who was transgendered when I was a young, young child. I mean like eight years old. And it was someone who worked in the natural resources industry. And I asked my dad, I said, you know, why is Larry now going to be known as Laura? And my dad's answer was so empathetic and so articulate and so honest and human and beautiful that I said, okay, well, that's Laura now. She wants to be known as Laura Let's call her Laura. And I never thought about it. I mean, when you're a little kid, you go, okay, this is strange. This is someone I knew as Larry, who is now going by Laura, and who I previously recognized as a man, is now a woman. But my dad was so gorgeous in the way he explained it, and talked about how he didn't feel right in his body, and now he is becoming a she, and we should refer to her as she. And I think that set me up for my entire life to care about this, and to care for people, And goddammit, that is the point of this show. Ultimately, I mean, I focus on people's professional lives. And I want to build empathy for the work that people do. And understand the challenges that they have. And how they built their path to success. I mean, these are all valuable things. But this week's episode is something that I care about just on a more fundamentally human level. And what's amazing about listening to this episode back. I did the interview with Daniel. I listened to it back. I cleaned it up. I made sure it sounded optimal for your experience, whether you're in the car or, you know, you got the earbuds in or whatever. And as I listen to it, I'm like, man, I must have been nervous talking to him because you'll hear me fumble through some questions and you'll hear me be sort of, I don't know, not as on point as I usually like to think that I am. And I wondered why. And I thought about it and I go, you know what? I'm just trying so hard. I want to get this right. 
I want to do right by the people who are affected by this. You know, I don't want to be some glib dumbass. I don't want to dehumanize people. I don't want to marginalize them. I just want to be an ally. I want to be an advocate. I want to do right. I want to shed light on this issue, which is the whole purpose of talking to Daniel from one Colorado. And God damn it. You know, I, I don't know if I fully succeeded. I hope that I did. I think that I did. But if you come out of this with a greater understanding of transgender rights or, you know, what it's like for a gay person to have to come out, not just once, but over and over and over again, then, you know, maybe me fumbling my way through this interview is a good way of doing it. I, that's my hope. I don't know if I succeeded. That's up to you. Uh, but all I can say is this matters and it's something I care about. I hope I did right by Daniel. I hope I'm doing right by you. This is why I do the show. So anyway, episode 112, really big episode, good times. I'm going to offer a couple of plugs here. We're going to make this quick. Episode previews are on Facebook. If you like John of All Trades on Facebook on Mondays, I post what this week's episode is going to be. So you get a little teaser, you get a little snapshot of what's coming. And that's the only place it happens. It doesn't happen on any of the other social media platforms. Facebook is the only place where that happens. Plus, you get a nice little mugshot of who's coming on my show. This is radio. It's nice to have a face to go with the voice. I mentioned the other social media platforms. All four of our social media platforms are under the same handle. It's J-O-A-T pod. So that's Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and Pinterest. You can get with me on any of those four social platforms. I'll tell you. And I don't know why I'm telling you this, but Facebook and Twitter are probably the two best ones. Additionally, this show is syndicated on iTunes and Stitcher. Just search John of All Trades. You'll find us there. Please subscribe. You get all the episodes. You don't have to do any work. That's a nice way of doing it. It's America, right? While you're there, give us a rating. Give us a review. That helps us gain visibility on both of those platforms. So let's get to this week's episode. It's 112. It's one I'm very proud of. It's one I was actually kind of nervous about just because I want to do right by this issue. So Daniel Ramos is the executive director of One Colorado advocating for LGBTQ rights. And his episode starts right now. Well, I usually add bacon. Their bacon is really good there. Nice. Yeah, they have some really... Have you had their tri-bacon uh, appetizer before? No. They have like a duck bacon and a pork bacon and there's another type. What is a duck bacon? It's it's bacon. It's just... Uh, it's, uh, it's a little bit thicker. Uh, a little more... A little more... Uh, it's a little fattier. Well, sure. I mean, that's duck. Yeah. You know, like if you get duck confit, yeah. it's like duck, but fattier. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's crispy. But and then it, a little mushy. Yeah, but yeah. then it's like rich. Yeah. Um, if you ever have the opportunity to get duck confit on a pizza, you should really do that. Hmm. Um, I had a um, when uh, what was it called? Jonesy's was they had a yeah when Jonesy's a duck was a thing, pizzole, which was really good. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was a long time ago. So, have you been to their new restaurant yet? No, Caperta, the one that's in the same space. No, it's over on Twentieth um, and Logan. I haven't been yet, but it's an Italian restaurant. Okay. No, that sounds good. I took my wife for her birthday to Shells and Sauce. Uh huh. Well, I still haven't been there. Really? Over yeah. in Mayfair? I haven't been there. Oh, it's outrageous. Yeah, right down the street from uh, that Greek restaurant that's pretty good, too. Oh, Chef Zorba's? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that place is all right. I've been there before. Yeah. my One of my favorite brunch spots is uh, the Berkshire out in Stapleton. Okay. Because I used to live in Stapleton, mm-hmm. and they, there's a new restaurant out there called Four Friends Kitchen. Okay. 
which is also good, but there's always like a 45 minute to an hour wait. Yeah. And it's like, this is brunch in Denver. Right. Like why? Anywhere. It's like when you drive down Colorado and you see people outside snooze. You go around the block. Yeah. What are you people (laughs) waiting for? Like, yeah. Who who waits in line at Denver? I don't yeah, get it. it's insane. So I don't know. Yeah. Uh, busy times for you, right? Yeah, very busy time. Yeah. yeah. What, what are you working on before the election? Uh, the biggest thing is we uh, just wrapped up our needs assessment, and so uh, we're just kind of getting all of our 2017 planning and everything together. Okay. Um, but mostly the election right now, um, and then just doing a lot of work. Just uh, just had a board meeting yesterday, so board meetings are <laughs> never very fun. But no. Can be, uh, can be tense. Can, I mean, just a lot of planning. Mm-hmm. Um, why are you doing your planning while the election's going on? That seems insane <laughs> to me. Yeah, it's Do tough. You just dislike sleep or what? It makes it really hard. Uh, but we're almost on 2017 and we'd like to, um, you sure. know, have a, have a slowish December. So just trying to get everything done. Okay. To make sure we're well prepared for 2017. In terms of the election, what are you most sort of concerned about? Is it candidate races or is it ballot issues or what it? Mostly candidate races. Okay. So we're focused mostly on the uh, state Senate. Okay. Uh, we need to win back a pro-equality majority so that we can pass our bills. Okay. A pro-equality majority. So when we met, and by the way, sitting here with Daniel Ramos, the executive director of One Colorado, thanks for taking the time. I know what you have going on right now. But when we met, you mentioned that one of the goals of One Colorado is that traditionally equality issues, and we're talking about gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, by and large, right? Absolutely, yeah. Has been traditionally married to a Democratic Party platform, right? But the goal of this organization is to sort of move it beyond a partisan issue. Absolutely. So in terms of taking back a pro-equality Senate, I mean, are you focused on Democrat races or are there Republicans where you go, you know what, these folks are with us? How does that partisan aspect play out for you? Yeah, so this year we were really proud that we could endorse two Republicans um, who accepted our endorsement. Uh, Kit Rupay down in Colorado Springs. We did a dual endorsement with... In Colorado Springs. In Colorado Springs. Um, and a dual endorsement with Tony Exum. Um, they are both uh, champions for LGBTQ people in Colorado. Wow. Um, and we also endorsed... Uh, Dan Thurlow out in Grand Junction. Um, he has also been a champion on our issues. Uh, both he and Kit uh, have voted um, in favor of the birth certificate bill this year, a bill that would have would make the process easier for transgender people to update the gender on their birth certificate. Oh, wow. Because currently in Colorado, if you're transgender and you want to change the gender on your birth certificate, um, after you get a note from your doctor, you have to go and get a surgery, uh, which can be expensive. Not all insurance covers it. Right. Uh, and not all people want it or are healthy enough to get it. And there's like a year of psych evaluations. Absolutely, that, yeah. Right? I mean, so, and that's like, a requirement. Like super high hurdles in order to do that, right? Absolutely. And then after you get a surgery, which again is required, you have to go before a judge and prove to a judge that you had a surgery and get a court order from a judge that then allows you to update a, the gender on your birth certificate. When, when you say prove you had a surgery to a judge, I mean... Do you stand there and basically like pull your pants down? No. So what you do is you... And and I'm sorry for the glibness of that question, but when you say prove that you had a surgery... You know, that, that's the first thing that comes to mind because most people, when they think about this, have sort of a very basic sense of what this issue entails. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think your, your bigger point is that's an incredibly invasive process. Sure, um, it yeah. violates the privacy of transgender people, uh, makes it incredibly difficult and burden, burdensome for them to have an identity document that matches who they are. Right. And so what our process would do uh, would mirror what the federal government does with the U.S. Passport Office and the Social Security Administration do where they... 
the government agency works directly with the individual and their medical or mental health provider to update the gender on the birth certificate. Okay. So basically, you have to go in with all this evidence uh, in front of a judge and present it. And can a judge at that point then, in, in the face of all this evidence, say no? The judge could. So yes, this doesn't assume that judges understand transgender issues that don't understand transgender people. Um, in fact, the, the reason that we do so much work um, on transgender issues is because a, a lot of the recent data suggests that only one in 10 people know someone who is transgender compared with nine in 10 knowing somebody who is lesbian, gay, or bisexual. And okay. so yes, there is, a, there is a, a, a public education gap where judges don't necessarily know what it means to be transgender, uh, but they are ultimately the deciding factor on whether somebody can get an identity document that matches who they are. Okay. That makes sense. And that statistic you cited about nine out of 10 people know someone who is gay, lesbian, or bisexual, right? I would argue it's 10 out of 10, <laughs> but they just don't know that they know it, right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, is that fair to say? Yeah. You know, we've, there's, there's a lot of work that's been done um, over the last many decades, um, uh, you know, going back to uh, this, uh, this emphasis on coming out, uh, really making sure that people know um, who is LGBT and Q and queer within their, within, their, within their own social network. Because again, it was this way of saying that LGBTQ people are living in every corner of Colorado. Certainly. They are our teachers. They are our doctors. Um, they are our elected officials. They are our friends. They are our neighbors. And so the more, the more visible that LGBTQ people continue to be, um, the more that we, the, the more that people will understand that LGBTQ people, um, want to, you know, have a good paying job. They want to raise a family if that's what they choose to do. Sure. Um, they want to go to school, uh, and they want to participate in communities and be and be civic and community leaders um, in, in all parts of the state and all parts of the country. Absolutely. And, I mean, basically what you're arguing for and what you're arguing for is needed and profound. But on, on a certain level, when you, when you start to think about it more intellectually, it's like they, they're arguing just to be humans, right? Absolutely. Be citizens in a society. And all of the rights and privileges and you know, pains in the ass that, that entails, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And the protections, uh, you know, much of the work right. that was being done on making sure that, that same-sex couples had access to marriage was really around making sure that, that those couples had the tools they need to take care of them and their families. So looking at you know, whether it was hospital visitation rights, um, if you had a child, making sure that you had parental rights, um, you had rights to end of life decision making, um, because this was your partner. This was the person that you spent your life with and that you should have those, um, of course, those, those protections, um, but also the opportunities of what it means to, uh, to have responsibility for you and your part, your, you, your partner and your family. Right. And so when you came into this, how long have you been at One Colorado? I've been at One Colorado um, almost uh, just over five and a half years now. Okay. In that time, what would you say is the biggest difference from when you started, like culturally, societally, just any way this issue sort of shakes out in, in the public discourse? How is it different then versus now? I think the biggest thing is that there's a general openness of people saying, I don't understand, but I want to learn more. And when we were having conversations, you know, think about t 2011 when we first introduced the civil unions bill, um, back when the house was controlled by Republicans, we couldn't even get the bill out of committee that first year. Right, right. The following year, we were able to get a Republican in addition to two other Republicans to change their votes. We made it all the way to the house floor, which again was controlled by Republicans and 
the the leadership of the House at the time, Speaker Frank McNulty, shut the legislature down, killed civil unions and 30 other bills, including the School Finance Act, to keep civil unions from passing. So now, after we passed civil unions in 2013 and ultimately won uh, freedom to marry across the country uh, last year, uh, one of the things we that we 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 understand is that people want to learn more about what the barriers are that LGBTQ people face in Colorado. I think that it's it's promising to see that um, that you know if one example is um, educators all across the state want to make sure that they have safe school environments um, where students uh, can go to school without fear of being bullied or harassed in their school that they are able to fully participate in their education whether mm-hmm. it's going to class participating in activities or athletics um, in in their school community and so the fact that that more people are understanding that it's important for LGBTQ young people and adults to be able to participate in their community and have that conversation, I think is one of the biggest things that we've seen change over the last couple of years. That's, and that's terrific. So, okay, here's a question that, uh, that I think, um, is pertinent. How much have, uh, increased representation in media and I would call it more nuanced representation in media, because I think back to the first sort of openly gay character on TV, Billy Crystal in Soap, right? And mm-hmm. the character's name is escaping me. Um, and traditionally, gay, lesbian, bisexual characters are portrayed either as sort of a wacky sidekick mm-hmm. or, um, you know, th- there, there was a one-noteness to the portrayals. Mm-hmm. Um, I would argue now that the portrayals are much more nuanced and a little bit more across the board. Would you say, two-part question, I guess, would you say, one, that my assessment of that is accurate and number two, how much has that helped in broadening, uh, you know, the, the reach of this issue? I think, you know, you know, it's a great example. I mean, you even think of, um, you know, Jack, the character Jack McFarlane from Will and Grace. Right. Um, and, um, and, and the, the portrayal of a stereotype. Yeah, um, very loud, flamboyant. Very loud, yeah. And, and now we're seeing. Impetuous, yeah. And now we're seeing, you know, uh, you know, we're seeing same sex couples raise families, um, on sitcoms now. Right, right. Where it's, it's not just individuals, but it's really showing LGBTQ families, same sex couples raising children, um, in media. I also think that there are a number of spokespeople. I think if you look at folks like Laverne Cox and Caitlyn Jenner and really people understanding that that transgender people look many different ways. Um, they have many different beliefs. Um, but now that uh, that America in many ways has been introduced to a transgender spokesperson is really changing the conversation on who transgender people are, uh, that their experiences, um, the, the, the barriers that exist for them. Um, and the more that we see, um, LGBTQ people represented in media, uh, the more that we see, um, positive representations as well. Um, you know, folks, uh, thinking about, um, you know, having struggles with family and with work and, uh, and in schools that we understand that, that LGBTQ families have the same issues as every other family. Right, and so right. the more that we see that, um, and the more that, uh, that, that people can, uh, can experience that, I think is, 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 uh, really improves, um, the work that we're doing here. Well, sure. I mean, you look at a show like Orange is the New Black and Laverne Cox's character, people, people look at that character and they go, I love that character. And they go, wow, she's transgendered. What else am I missing? Like, I, I have affection for that character compared to something like, you know, Alexis Arquette in, uh, in The Wedding Singer, which was just 20 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Which that character was played for really sort of, grotesque laughs 
mm-hmm. you know. Whereas you can build some affinity for Laverne Cox, and she has, you know, she has a son in the show. And so, what you're articulating, I think, is is really well stated. Absolutely, and I think that as as we have, you know, characters like like Laverne Cox, we're able to have a conversation about who transgender people are and what they experience. I think uh, a lot of the data that we have, you know, suggests that transgender people are are. Um, you know, two times more likely to be unemployed. And if you're a transgender mm-hmm. person of color, you're four times more likely to, to experience unemployment. Um, Why um, is that? I think a lot of it is discrimination. Um, you know, even, in, you know, in Colorado, we do have employment non-discrimination protections um, on the basis of sexual orientation and transgender status. But I think that people have either, you know, they're not hired or once they're hired, they are also underemployed. We also have a lot of data suggests that, that transgender people, transgender people of color tend to make less money than their counterparts regardless right, of education level. Margin- Absolutely. Yeah, okay, I get you. Yeah, so it's it's that it's that bias. You know, really have people not understanding uh, transgender people that you know transgender people want to uh, get a job, they want to work hard, they want to provide for themselves and their families, um, and so now that we we have characters um, or introductions to transgender people, we can have conversations about what the issues are that impact yeah. trans- transgender people. Okay, so. One, I have to give a shout to uh, one of my absolute punk rock heroes, and that's Laura Jane Grace, uh, lead singer of Against Me. Formerly, no idea who that is. Really? <laughs> For, formerly known as Tom Gable. Um, Tom Gable was uh, the lead singer of Against Me. Just this really great punk rock band that'll just melt your face right mm-hmm. off. They're so good, and they, and they rock very hard. His entire life, he felt like he was living as a woman decided to make the transition and is now known as Laura Jane Grace, came out with an album called Transgender Dysphoria Blues. Hmm. And it was my favorite album of 2014. Just an absolute fantastic album. And it's written as a persona of a transgendered prostitute. But through the process of creating this music, I think it provided an entry point for this band that a bunch of people in what I would call a traditionally sort of hyper-masculine milieu uh it gave them an entry point to to understand this a little more it's like okay this is still the same band and this music is still great what is going on lyrically here that i didn't understand before so you know i don't know what your music taste is but that is an album well well worth checking out yeah and i think you know the you know really to the point is that there's a story behind it right that that this you know the the person who transitioned has a story behind everything that they've done in their life and everything that they're committed to doing and so i think the fact that that they were able to write an album about it uh, and that they're able to share that with other people again just reiterates that everyone has a story right absolutely I was, and as I was, as I was telling this, you know, talking about the transition from Tom Gable to Laura Jane Grace, I was kind of inside my own head trying to figure out if I was getting the pronouns correct, right? Because I mean, that, that is, can be a very challenging issue Mm -hmm. in that regard. But for someone like me, and Patton Oswalt does a joke about this, he says, if I mess up on that, please don't cast me, you know, as a villain because I'm trying so hard, Mm -hmm. you know? And so is it hard sometimes you can find people who are very articulate and get all the pronouns, right? But they are absolutely 100% against you. Mm -hmm. Is it hard sometimes to, for you or for the general public to determine who is an actual ally and who is sort of, you know, clandestine working against you? 
Yeah, I think, you know, especially when it comes to pronouns, I think the important thing is that, you know, we we all make mistakes, um, regardless right. whether they're pronoun mistakes or many other mistakes. And so uh, the important lesson is how do we learn from those and make sure that we're, we're not doing it with malintent, um, that we are affirming, uh, you know, whoever an individual is and their pronouns. Uh, but we are seeing, you know, we, we do know when, when, when people do mean it with the worst of intentions. I think with our schools program, for example, uh, one of the things that we emphasize is that schools should, should respect pronouns of young people. Um, mm-hmm. that in fact, uh, our state law says that, uh, young people, anyone really has an access, ha- uh, has a right to access a, a facility that corresponds with their gender identity. And so unfortunately we do see, we do see people misuse pronouns or even misgender folks, um, mm-hmm. as a way to disrespect or dehumanize. But if we're, if right, we're, right. if we're doing it with the, with the best of intentions and learning from the mistake, if we do misgender or, or use a wrong pronoun, um, and making sure sure that it doesn't happen again that's really the work that needs to be done and i think that it too is up to the uh, non-transgender folks to be able to really commit themselves to doing that work to make sure that people feel respected right absolutely in terms of the transgender i want to call it an issue but i feel like that's a, a little bit reductive in you know classifying it that way but in terms of dealing with transgender rights uh mm-hmm. let's let's put it that way um you mentioned schools mm-hmm. and I think one of the arguments that you'll hear from people is, does a child really know if they are born in the wrong body or if they, they feel like they should be a girl when they're, you know, when they're born as a boy, you know, what role do parents have? Do educators have, you know, how does that play out in Mm -hmm. terms of advocating for those rights? Yeah, I think the, the, what's, what's amazing and the young people that I've met all across the state who are transgender, uh, probably know that they're transgender better than anybody else. I would uh, think so. Right. And it's, uh, it's, it's a great experience to watch, you know, the, the, the loving, uh, the, you know, the loving families who support their transgender children, um, respect their names and their pronouns, um, and really figure out how, how do they make sure that their child has the best opportunities available? How do they make sure that they go to the school um, and, and have an open conversation with the educators in the school to make sure that their student is safe and that their student has an ability to learn? Uh, it's the it's the, the the parents of these transgender young people who come down to the Capitol every year and testify about what the experience of their young, of their children is and right. what barriers there are and how we at one Colorado and how the state legislature can, uh, can help improve the lives of their transgender child, uh, in, in some really significant ways. And so I think again, you know, young people, it's incredible to see. Um, and I think the, I've been, um, so uh, blessed to, to meet so many families, um, who yeah. are just so supportive, so compassionate, um, and really, really want to make sure that their child has the best opportunities available to them. Well, certainly. And I mean, in a vacuum, all things being equal, who wants to have to go through that, right? I think, I think when we talk about this culturally, we're missing a lot of empathy because if given a clean slate, they'd probably, you know, let, let's say you're a little boy who feels like you've been a girl, all things being equal, you would never, ever want to go through that, right? So why are we making it so much harder for them to live the life that they want to live. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I think that, uh, that the, again, the more that we can really understand who transgender people are, yeah. um, the more that we can learn the stories of these individual and these families, I think we'll be able to answer that question of right. why is it so hard? Because this person, this young person just wants to go to school or this person wants to participate in sports. Um, or this person is just trying to get a job. Um, and so why are we making it so They're difficult? just trying to live their lives for Absolutely. For God's you know, sake, why right? do we have laws in place that make it so burdensome that are incredibly invasive, um, that, that make it difficult for transgender people to update a gender on their birth certificate. I think the other piece that we're seeing in laws all across the country that, that attack transgender people are making or are, um, voter ID laws. Um, mm. where if a transgender person hasn't, um, hasn't transitioned, hasn't updated their, um, their, their gender mar- marker on their, on their license or their ID, that they will not be able to vote. And so that is, I, th- I think, one other thing that we're seeing right. is that, you know, these processes are in place. They're really, they're really difficult. Um, they're expensive. Um, but then we also, we also uh, make other processes difficult, like voting, for example, for transgender people in other states. Okay. So it's a it's a more subtle way of disenfranchising uh, someone who you don't want to have a voice. Absolutely, yeah, it has been. Hmm. I want to go back to something that you said earlier, um, with a focus on you know becoming more visible and focus on coming out. Mm-hmm. I know, having talked to, I mean, I have a number of gay friends, uh, and you know, their stories run the spectrum of what it was like to come out. You know, what is it like advocating for people to come out, knowing that that can that can sometimes be a very painful process. Absolutely. I think the big thing for people when talking about coming out is for people to come out when it's the right time for them. I think right. that uh, there are a lot of considerations to be to be made, whether, uh, you know, you'll face rejection from your family. One recent statistic shows that uh, of homeless youth, 40 percent of them identify as LGBTQ. Oh, wow. One, because after they come out, they may be thrown out of their house by their family. Or they may also face physical or verbal uh, um, abuse at home. And so it's unsafe for them to be in the home. So so safety is a huge consideration to make and whether it's the right time. I also think that it's it's the support, uh, knowing that, you know, coming out is tough and that oftentimes people have to come out multiple times to multiple people. And so it's an ongoing process of coming out. Um, you know, I think for me... Growing up, I grew up in small town Colorado and northeast Colorado in a town called Sterling. And I came out when I was 13 years old. And so for me, wow. it was considering, you know, did, do, did I have a supportive group? And I did. I had a great group of friends. I had a, a supportive educators in my school. Um, I had a supportive family. And for, for me, it was the right time. It was the right time to do it. But even still, you know, 15 years later, you know, I'm still coming out, um, to sure. folks. And so it, it, so it's almost, almost never ends. Mean, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, that, I mean, that's the hard thing. You don't just come out once, right? You come out again and again and again. Absolutely. Wow. I, and I think that's one of the less understood things because you're going to, you're going to come out to every single person that you meet. And as someone who is, you know, white, straight, cisgendered, right? Mm-hmm. How do I, indicate or, you know, without wearing a a sign around my neck, how do I show that I'm a safe person or that I'm an ally or, you know, for anyone who's listening, who, who says, I want to be a safe person. Like I, people are gay, straight, transgendered, bisexual. I don't care. Right. I just want to know you as a person. How do I indicate that safety? Yeah, I think the biggest one, and, uh, you know, it seems simpler than, than I think most people want to make it is just really having authentic relationships. I think knowing that, right. you know, people have, you know, things change in their life. 
you know, whether it's a family situation or coming out or many other things, but really showing unconditional love. I think the other way is that, you know, if, uh, if there's language that's being used, if, you know, somebody says something like that's so gay, or if somebody is talking negatively about LGBTQ people, another way to demonstrate that you're a strong ally is to really step is to really step up and say, Hey, that's not okay. What did you mean by that? Right. Um, and to, and to really, um, you know, intervene when you see, um, anti LGBTQ remarks made, uh, you see, uh, you hear people talk about LGBTQ people in a derogatory way. Right. That's really a, a great way to demonstrate that you are open. You are, and you are an ally to the LGBTQ community right. unconditionally. That, I mean, that makes good sense to me. I was, I was on a guy's trip and one of my friends, you know, referred to, you know, that's a really gay drink you're drinking or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, dude, that's, that's really uncool. Like, I know you don't think it means anything and I know you don't mean it with malice. You're, yeah. You don't have hate in your heart. You're not a bad guy. But I'm like, when gay folks hear that, it crushes them. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think about Todd Glass is a comedian who was on WTF with Mark Marin. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with this story. He's like in his forties and he finally came out publicly and he said, anytime I'd hear that, you know, or my friends would be like, oh, that's faggy or whatever. He's like, I'd die a little bit inside. And mm-hmm. I just, I'd want to go and just, and crawl under a rock and just die every time I heard that. And when I heard that the first time I go, oh my God, like you, you don't even know that you're being sort of destructive when you do something like that. Mm-hmm. And so I think that speaks to exactly what you're you know, what you're talking about. Absolutely. And I think the bigger thing is that, you know, words have impact. Uh, and uh, whether it's uh, a, a term that's been used against LGBTQ people or people of color or women, um, that there are right. these there are these words or phrases that are used that, you know, they may they, they may not be meant to harm, but words, words matter. Uh, and, and when people feel targeted or they feel that those words or those phrases can make people feel unsafe in, sp- in specific situations. So it's almost like it, to, to demonstrate that you're an ally, it's, it's almost like taking some of the onus on you to snuff that out as much absolutely. as possible. Is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Getting back to sort of the partisan aspect of this, you know, you, you talked about wanting to move this. And when we met, uh, we met at a Pride and Energy event, uh-huh. right? So we've got the marriage of LGBTQ rights and the oil and gas industry. Mm-hmm. Two groups you wouldn't necessarily associate off the top of your head, mm-hmm. right? But both groups are interested in broadening their coalition. Oil and gas, typically a Republican issue. LGBTQ rights, typically a Democrat issue. How can we continue to move this to a nonpartisan thing to where it's just... Uh, human rights, where it's just, Mm -hmm. you know, equality for all. Yeah, I think the bigger piece, and you know, this is the work that we do down at the Capitol, is as making sure that we can tell stories. Uh, you know, making sure that that uh, you know we're talking with Republicans and Democrats again about um, that the experiences, the barriers that exist for people to really un- to, and really understand that LGBTQ people are living in every corner of the state. I think one thing that's incredibly powerful is we have our lobby day every year. And this last lobby day, we had uh, just about 250 people from all across the state. We had 32 of 35 Senate districts represented. Nice. And so so folks can no longer say that they don't represent right. LGBTQ people or that LGBTQ people do not live in their districts because they right. do. Um, and we brought many of them to the Capitol. And so... Right. 
the more that we can have those conversations, uh, the more that people can understand that, oh, yeah, we went to the same school, or your mom was my teacher, or your dad is my banker, or your mom is my doctor. All of those things right, start yeah. to click. And so when we, when we can, ha- when we have those conversations, we understand that we have more in common than we do, than we don't. Yeah. And I think that as long as we can keep an open line of communication to, to say, I don't really understand, but I want to learn more. That's really how, how one Colorado approaches our work to make sure that, you know, on the birth certificate bill, for example, we got five Republicans in the House to vote in favor of that bill. But unfortunately, once we got over to the Senate, Senate Republicans killed our bill. Mm. We also had a bill this year that would have banned conversion therapy in Colorado. Um, so in, uh, conversion therapy is only banned in three states in the District of Columbia. And for those who don't know, conversion therapy. Yeah. So conversion therapy is essentially the, the practice, uh, of ch- trying to change some one's sexual orientation or their gender identity. It really comes from this idea that being gay or transgender is wrong and needs to change. And I think and, what's and is a choice that absolutely. Right. And what's important is that all of the major medical and mental health associations have said one that it's not founded in science. And that two, it in fact does more harm than good. It's goddamn cruel, right? Absolutely. And you're telling young people that who they are or who they love needs to change. And so you're putting- And that it's objectively wrong, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, it it significantly impacts the mental health of young people uh, when, when they're told that, that they need to change. But unfortunately, that legislation is only, or that practice is only banned in three states in, in the District of Columbia, California, Oregon, New Jersey, and DC. Okay. And so this year we ran a bill and we had uh, a Dan Thurlow uh, again voted in favor of the bill from Grand Junction. And once we got over to the, the state Senate, again, Senate Republicans killed our bills. Mm, okay. Would you say that the evolution of this issue has almost sort of gone in the same at the same pace as generations? I mean, is it is it a sort of generational shift? Because I find folks our age and younger, and I'm just a little bit older than you, but they generally go, yeah, I know, I know a ton of gay people. I know, mm-hmm. you know, my friend is bisexual. I, mm-hmm. I don't care. It doesn't bother me. I've been around these folks my entire life. Whereas, and I mean, this, this goes back to what you were saying about visibility as well, because the more that you know, the more or the less likely you are to sort of be hostile or antagonistic mm-hmm. um, toward a group of, of people. Yeah, I think that's one of the things we're seeing with young people is that um, in many ways, this is a non-issue. I mean, I think if you think of, of you know, just a couple of years ago, we were really... A, a non-issue, but there's still work to do. There's a lot of work to do, absolutely. Right. And, you know, just a couple of years ago, thinking about for, you know, our younger generations to only know a world where same-sex couples, where everyone has the freedom to marry, I think is, is going to shift quite a bit because it's the that's reality that they've lived in, whereas for generations, same-sex couples were not allowed the freedom to marry. Right. I mean, my daughters are two... And three and a half months. So this world for them, this is the only world they've ever known. Mm-hmm. So it's just, re- it's just the way. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. I mean, and that's I th- pretty great. Yeah. And I think for, you know, I have a, a nephew who's 11 and a, uh, three nieces, six, seven, and eight. Um, and they only know Uncle, Uncle Daniel and Uncle Jordan. Uh, right. when they, they say they want to come in, you know, spend time with Uncle Daniel and Uncle Jordan. And, uh, and that's what they know. That's their reality. And so I think that it's, it's, it's going to change. It's going to change a lot. Yeah. That's really cool. And I mean, that's, 
that's heartening for the future. You know, just to quote George Costanza, which you're probably not expecting, <laughs> we're trying to have a society here, right? Yeah. I mean, we're trying to have a society here. Absolutely. Um, so I, I think back to, and this is kind of a weird story and one I don't think I've ever told in public, but, uh, when I was in high school, I was in theater and me too. Yeah. <laughs> Get out of here. Uh, and, uh, so we were doing the, the, uh, outsiders. And so of the main cast, you know, there, there's like eight guys, right? Mm-hmm. And it was five of them. I think ended up were gay. And so they used to, they used to just bust each other's balls and have fun and like talk shit to each other. And I'm like, what is happening here? Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was funny having the shoe on the other foot because, you know, I'm used to being around a bunch of straight guys. Mm-hmm. So over the course of that, because they're, they're needling me and they're like, oh, you're probably gay too. <laughs> and they're like, you just don't know it yet. <clears throat> and I go, huh. So I went home and I go, hmm. And I thought about it. I'm like, am I? Like, am mm-hmm. I actually gay? And I dug down as deep as I could thinking about it. And I go, uh, no, no, I, I just, I don't get that feeling, mm-hmm. um, when I think about guys. Mm-hmm. But after I had that revelation, I was much more comfortable with them. They're like, you're probably gay. And I'm like, yeah, probably. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But the thing was, it demystified it. You know, it, it wasn't exotic. It wasn't strange. It wasn't dangerous, mm-hmm. you know? And that was a really, good moment for me because ever since then i'm like why why the fuck would anyone have and i'm sorry for all the profanity (laughs) but this is my show um why the fuck would anyone have a problem with this and so i think when we talk about generationally Mm -hmm. i think you're hearing more and more of that yeah and i think the story that you tell is that you know you knew you were straight uh and for for gay folks or transgender folks they know that who they are and who they love is who they are they've had that love absolutely they've had that internal dialogue same conversation absolutely where you just sit down and you're like oh uh you know do i like girl like in your case you know do i like girls nope Mm -hmm. nope i don't right Mm -hmm. and so i think by virtue of having that i'd never thought of it that way everyone at some point probably has especially everyone who's gay, maybe not everyone who's straight has sat down and thought about it with that depth Mm -hmm. because they haven't had to because we live in a heteronormative society, right? Right. So interesting. In terms of what you do at One Colorado, because you just recently became executive director. I did, yeah, about two months ago. Okay, how has that transition been going from, you were deputy director, right? Mm -hmm. And now you're executive director. Yeah. How has that been? Um, So it's been quite a transition for uh, my entire time at One Colorado. Um, I started at the organization back in 2011, Mm -hmm. um, and I built our safe schools program, um, really focused on uh, gay straight alliances in middle schools, high schools, and colleges. I'm doing a lot of training with educators on the anti-bullying law that we passed in 2011. Um, After that, I was our political director, so did a lot more of looking at our overall political and electoral strategy. I managed our political action committee as well. Wow. And then when I became deputy director, um, I was also really involved with our health policy work. Okay. Um, uh, uh, And then now as executive director, um, really thinking about, you know, what the role of One Colorado is uh, and the work that we're doing to improve the lives of LGBTQ. 
LGBTQ Coloradans. Like, where do you fit in Colorado? Where do you fit at the Capitol? What is your vision? That kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm, I, I, uh, am in my head a lot more, um, as executive <laughs> director, uh, and really thinking about, you know, what are the challenges and the opportunities that we have? Um, because I think that there are a lot of opportunities, uh, while we can be aware of the challenges ahead. Um, and I think that it's been, it's been, you know, this is an exciting organization to, you know, just in our, we've only been in business since 2010. Um, and we've got a lot of, we've been able to do a lot of things. Uh, and I think that the, the future of One Colorado, um, is really promising. I think there's, there's, as you mentioned, there's still a lot of work to do, sure. um, for LGBTQ Coloradans. And I'm really excited to be leading uh, a great organization alongside an amazing and dedicated team of folks. <laughs> Uh, that, that was, uh, that was a beautiful advertisement for your entire staff and organization. So well played there. <laughs> That's uh, the executive director in me. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I w- so I want to come back to, to the future because I know, I know you got another appointment coming up and we got to wrap this up here in a bit. But give me a snapshot. This is one of my favorite questions that I like to ask everyone. Give me a snapshot of what a day in the life of Daniel Ramos as executive director of One Colorado is. Mm-hmm. Like, what time do you get in? What's your day look like? When do you finish up? Give me the give me the run through. Sure. Uh, so usually, um, I get up and I have the same breakfast every morning. Um, really? Uh, yeah, same breakfast every morning. I'm I'm a huge huge fan of breakfast uh, and lots of coffee in the morning. Well, not just of breakfast, but of this breakfast. Of this breakfast, yeah. It's, okay. You know, eggs, fruit, vegetables, and a bowl of cereal every day. Okay. Uh, so that's uh, I get up and have uh, my my partner and I, Jordan, have breakfast together every day. Uh, and then we both head out. What and, time does that happen? Uh, usually about seven. Okay. It's about seven o'clock. We have breakfast. And then, you know, I usually have a full day, uh, a, g- a good amount of coffee. I, ha- I have a lot of coffee meetings. I almost have a lunch meeting every single day um, to really talk about the work that we're doing at One Colorado. Like um, who are the types of folks you're meeting with? Yeah, whether it's with um, our supporters, uh, whether it's with um, our coalition partners or with funders. Um, those are all of the really fun conversations that I get to talk about the amazing work that we get to do here at One Colorado. Uh, the uh, And then, uh, you know, late in the afternoon, I'll go to CrossFit. Uh, okay. and sneak out and go to the gym in the, uh, in late afternoon and, and then try to get some emails done at the end of the day, uh, because I have a pretty full meeting schedule that, uh, my email often gets neglected more than it should. Uh, what do, and so what time are you doing the emails? Usually get to emails about six or seven at night for now. Okay. Uh, just for just a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm pre- I like to just kind of wind down and work, you know, get an hour uninterrupted, um, in before I kind of wind down and, sure. You know, either go uh, go to an event, go have dinner with a friend, or just lay on the couch. Take some personal time. <laughs> yeah. God forbid, right? Yeah. With a schedule like that, I mean, that's, that's a pretty full 12-hour day, not counting events that you have at night. Because when you do – when you work for an organization like this, there's always something to go to. Always. Right? I mean, you, you could fill every night of the week with some event mm-hmm. if you wanted to. Yeah, and it's gala season right now. It's – yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I remember when I used to work in oil and gas when we were doing business in Wyoming, everything in Wyoming happens in August because that's like the only month of the year where Wyoming is like inhabitable. Mm-hmm. And so that's where, that's where you have everything. I remember at one point I'm like, I just want to sit on my couch and not talk to people and not be on and not put a freaking suit on. Mm-hmm. And do you ever burn out on that schedule? I mean, I know it's only been a couple of months, but are there ever days where you're like, I, this is too much? Uh, not right now. I think the big thing I, I'm really, I believe in self care a lot. Um, and so I'm, I, 
like to think that I have a pretty good balance of, you know, spending time, you know, with myself and going to the gym is one of those things that um, really reinvigorates me. Uh, and that's like a non-negotiable, right? It's a non-negotiable. That's yeah. great. Uh, non-negotiable. And, that, and that's hard to do. Like, it, it's hard to actually schedule time for yourself. Like, schedule it in mm-hmm. and not... It's easy to... to sacrifice that at the expense of some other fire that you have to put out right yeah it's a block of time that is non-negotiable i'll move it within a couple of class you know because i crossfit i have specific class times right sure um which is also really helpful because i can go in uh and just get to business uh, without a t- without much discussion uh, and it's just really a time to to kind of wind down uh kind of n- not think i love uh, that my coaches just tell me what to do every single day and i don't have to think about it i love that you classify crossfit as winding down. That's, <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's the first time anyone has ever classified it that way. Yeah, it's very, uh, it's a, it's a very, uh, you know, it's, it's as much physical as it is mental. Um, and so it really right. pushes and challenges me in some really fun, uh, and new ways as well. Right. I mean, and you're using different muscles. Absolutely. Okay. So as we wrap up, let's say, let's look ahead a little bit, five years. Let's say one Colorado has been a roaring success. What will you have achieved and what will the organization look like at that point? Yeah, I think the big things, uh, you know, is, is really we've talked about through this entire conversation is is making sure that, that LGBTQ equality is a nonpartisan issue. Um, understanding that uh, that that LGBTQ people have uh, you know access to jobs and can go to school um, and can raise their families in any part of the state, regardless of your zip code. Uh, I think coming from rural Colorado, I... And now living in Denver, really understanding that that too is important for all the people living across the state. Um, I also think that there are, there's uh, quite a bit of work that we can do to really engage people. I think that as, you know, as I've mentioned, one Colorado, we have supporters all across the state. We do a lot of work bringing people to the Capitol, telling our stories. Um, and that will continue to be uh, more and more visible. Um, and I think that that one in 10 number that I mentioned earlier about transgender folks will be that nine in 10, that 10 in 10, that people will know and understand who transgender people are um, and that and that that people will be able to you, to really live their lives. I think that here, you know, our vision is a fair and just Colorado. And I think the biggest piece is that, that we know that, w- that we will continue to improve the lives of LGBTQ Coloradans and that if people can live in any part of the state, uh, and get a job and live their, ni- their life, uh, without bullying, harassment, or discrimination, we know that we've done our jobs. That sounds fantastic to me. I'll tell you what, uh, I know you gotta get to lunch. You have a lunch meeting today. I do. Right? <laughs> I mean, of course you do. Why don't you, uh, why don't you give us the plugs? Where can we find One Colorado on the web? Uh, any, anything you want to plug, Great. go ahead and do it now. Yeah. So, uh, One Colorado, our website is one-colorado.org, all spelled out. Uh, we're really active on Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Uh, our, our Facebook, One Colorado, uh, Twitter, one underscore Colorado, and our Instagram is at One Colorado. Um, so, you know, interact with us. Uh, we also have, uh, you can sign up for our mailing list, um, on our website as well and learn more about what our work looks like ahead and how how you can plug into uh, to our work for LGBTQ Coloradans and their families. Fantastic, Daniel. Well, I'll tell you what, this was enormously illuminating for me. Uh, I think you're doing great work. Thank you. And I wish you continued success. Excellent. Thanks again. And that brings episode 112 to a close. Thank you to Daniel Ramos from One Colorado for taking some time out of his busy, busy schedule. I mean, he's planning for 2017 and preparing for an election, and he still found an hour for me. What a great dude doing incredible work. Check out One Colorado on 
all the sites that they mentioned. You can find all of those places linked on the John of All Trades website. Man your blog piece to each episode. It's johnofalltrades.us, J-O-N, of all trades.us. Let's give some love to our sponsor, 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Everything you need in the online space, whether you're conducting a campaign or trying to draw attention to your business, they are the best ones for doing it because they will not only help you identify the messages that are most resonant, they'll put you on the platforms so that those messages are positioned to succeed optimally. They are fantastic at what they do. They have designed the John of All Trades website. They have designed the Depth Communications website, of which John of All Trades is produced by... Check us out on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M.us. And if you like the look of those sites, you can thank 4Degrees for that because they helped me build both of those. So go to 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E.es. Denver Film Festival is coming up. I'll have a little bit of preview about that. It's looking like four episodes from the Denver Film Fest. That's coming up in November. We'll see you back here, I think, next week. And until then, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.